If you ever want to come to the other side, you'd make a hell of a crew. You'd make a hell of a cop. <laughs> nah. Let's just kick some ass. It's what we do best. Welcome to part two of our Ghosts of Mars episode. Uh, but before we go into real talk, we are going to do some PP, patron pitch. This is where we let our beloved patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed, and we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex closing down August here, so some of these things we've been promoting throughout the month, such as our QVR quick video reviews. Uh, this month we got Ryan picking for us. He gave you Bad Boy Bobby, an Australian movie, and he gave me Tyrannosaur uh, movie. I, I still haven't seen it. I haven't recorded that video, so I can't tell you a single thing about a Tyrannosaur, but when I do, the only way to find out what I think about that movie is to... Uh, Become a patron and watch my video. And same goes for Alex and Bad Boy Bobby. You haven't watched it yet, right? I have not. I'm looking forward to it, though. Of course, we're recording this at the beginning of August. You guys are listening mm-hmm. to it at the end of August. So, obviously, by the time that this this hits your feed, that should be up there. We also have, of course, the, the final chapter on our Roxena uh, journey. What happens when when you get what you wanted <laughs> what's the, the the fallout of uh, the biggest match ever uh, alex walks me through it walks me through the the highs and lows there's a whole lot that happens because of it yeah that, that all the different players all the people that were involved poor Seamus. <laughs> everybody uh, it's it's a fascinating piece of business like alex likes to say and it, it kind of caps off our, this this massive project that uh, that Alex put together. Uh, speaking of exclusive stuff, our Twilight uh, extravaganza, I guess, uh, starts on on the Patreon feed. We're going to be talking about the Twilight movie demanded by social media guru and patron Zoe Perez. She's making us watch all the uh, Twilight movies. Not all mm-hmm. of them are going to show up on the main feed, uh, but Twilight starts here on the Patreon exclusive, and then we'll have New Moon next month on the main feed. So uh, if you want to see how it all starts, $1 gets you access to that uh, that Twilight exclusive episode. And Absolutely. Alex, have you seen Twilight? No. This will all be first-time stuff oh, for me. Oh, God. That's the only one I've seen, and I, I just can't wait to talk to you about it. Should be should be a lot of fun. Uh, also, if you're if you're a patron of a certain level, you get to pick stuff for us to watch. So you know, Ryan gave us those QVRs. Katie mm-hmm. Noti gave us Ghosts of Mars, and uh, we'll get into uh, the reasons uh, momentarily. Um, but also something that I, I don't think uh, we highlight enough is Alex that when you go there and kind of mentioned it on the on the first half of the first corner, uh, when you go to our Patreon page, you get to see what other patrons are saying about the things that we post, and there's there's a lot That's of true. fun conversations going on because uh, you know sometimes the reactions don't make it all the way to Twitter; they just stay on the Patreon page. That's uh, I I know you know I'm a sucker for feedback, so just seeing oh, yeah. people react to the the stuff we post there uh, is is always. A big reward. So you can be part of the fun too. Just just join the patron family. And you can also listen then to Contrarians After Hours. Our spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we've watched, that we've uh, listened to, that we've played. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours? All right, Julio. So just finished the mini-series on FX Impeachment uh, about the... Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton, scandal, saga, controversy, 
epic, whatever you want to call it, with uh, Clive Owen as Bill Clinton, Edie Falco, Hillary Clinton, Sarah Paulson, like completely disappears in the role of Linda Tripp. And uh, <laughs> what's Jonah Hill's sister's name? Uh, Beanie Feldman. Yeah, she plays Monica Lewinsky. And there's a whole lot of other people in it. So salacious, so spicy. I really, really enjoyed that. So I'll be talking about uh, watching that. It's on Hulu right now, uh, at least in America. It's 10 episodes. They're one hour each. It's pretty easy to binge. We, we went through it pretty quickly. So I'll be talking about that. In addition to just a random-ass documentary I fired up on Netflix this week, um, just looking for something to pass the time. And it was in under 90 minutes it was called perfect bid the contestant who knew too much julio have you heard about this no what is this it's from a few years ago it's about this math teacher uh ted slauson who basically just grew up as like like a little kid watching the price is right and basically memorized their systems and like kept track of pricing and stuff in case he was ever on it and um he helped this guy bid the exact dollar amount and he maintains it in like if you watch this you can tell through the guy it was all through it was just innocent that he did this um it was just like math and him watching the show all the time but it created this huge like controversy and this was by the time drew carey was hosting it and they have an excerpt of drew carey from kevin pollock's show uh talking about it he's like when I pulled the card out and saw his exact amount, it's like, oh, well, I'm getting fucking fired. Uh, <laughs> so it talks about like the controversy that befell, beset uh, due to this perfect bid. And it's just a really quick, easy documentary. But there's some things about it I really enjoy. So we'll be talking about that as well. Uh, Julio, what are you bringing to After Hours? Uh, Alex, speaking of things that are 10 episodes long, an hour each, I watched The Sandman on Netflix over the over this week. Really? I couldn't tell by your Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, I've been really excited uh, about this. Really trepidatious, too. It's my favorite comic book of all time. And I, it's also something that you would think, if you're familiar with the source material, you're like, how are they, how can they successfully translate this into... TV or movies or whatever. Um, I'm just going to talk to you about that. I'm going to talk to you about the comic. I'm going to talk to you about the the show. I'm not going to spoil the big things, but there's a lot to talk about. And, uh, and yeah, patrons that have been <laughs> uh, following my journey as I watch over the past few days, well, you get to hear me just expand on it. But I'm, uh, it's all very positive. I, I love the show, and I, I just want to talk to you about it. So that'll be it. That, that's going to cover my entire After Hours. I usually bring two things, but this is going to be like all of it. Awesome. Uh, in addition to our After Hours segments, if you go back through the archives, we have some things such as like one-off special coverage of like Halloween Kills and other movies. We have a discussion about the most recent Scream coming soon to our patron page. And so it's um if you like this, it's a lot more of that. Patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Check out the tiers. See if you would like to contribute to the cost and join the contrarian supplements. And you know, eventually you'll want to give us more money because you'll figure out a movie that you want to hear our take on. Probably something we've never heard of, like Ghost of Mars, in my case at least. <laughs> so check it out. Uh, like Julio said, you can comment there if you want to reach out to us directly and you're not comfortable doing so on Patreon or Twitter. We are the contrarians at gmail.com. You can reach us there as well. Uh, for those patrons we have currently, love you oh so much. As I like to say, we're taking applications and y'all let us know what you like, what you want to hear more of. And if there's something you don't care for, let us know, hey, you know, don't spend so much time on that. Do this shit over here. I like this more. 
more Ghost of Mars. Give us a commentary to Ghost of Mars. Man, um, man I don't know. <laughs> relax, relax, take it easy, take it easy. Relax, relax. You're gonna get what you want. I know I'm gonna get everything I want. Let's go. Damn, girl. I like you already. I can't say like I hated it because it's short and it's John Carpenter and it's interesting. It's just kind of boring and, I'm, you know, it's not very motivated. But we'll get to that in just a moment because there were, what, 23% of critics that logged in reviews that enjoyed it. That is correct. Uh, I pulled four fresh quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. I'm going to start with Glenn Lovell from the San Jose Mercury News, who says, Listen up, you hardcore sci-fi addicts. We're going for a ride. And I do mean ride. Okay. What is he so excited about? <laughs> is, he a, is he a John Carpenter fan? An Ice Cube fan? Pam Greer fan? I don't know. Yeah, she gets Drew Barrymore, though, and this. She gets the Wes Craven treatment. Um, Natasha Henstridge, maybe? Maybe. I mean, out of all of them, I think... Uh, yeah, Natasha Henstridge was the one that was more uh, sci-fi, you know, with species. Mm-hmm. Next, Dave White from iFilm says, It's big, gory, ugly fun, just the way you want it to be. Is it the way you want it to be, Alex? I, it's, it's a perfectly serviceable, like, rainy Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon movie to put on to pass the time. It's not that gory. I mean, there's some decapitations and shit, but it's not... You know, blood spurting, that type of thing. I mean, yeah, it has its moments. When that guy cuts his thumb off. That's true. Next, Marty Mapes from Movie Habit says, Carpenter's work is recognizable as human art, but art untarnished by the sheen and polish of a global popular culture. What the fuck is this guy talking about? Yeah, you lost me, brother. (laughs) If I were to think I understand what he's saying... I, I don't think it makes sense either. Is he saying that his movies are not tarnished by, by global pop culture? He has Ice Cube in this. Yeah, for Th- real. This is not like an indie horror sci-fi that, you know, he made just flying by the seat of his pants. He has a pretty decent cast. It was given a summer release date from a major <laughs> studio. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I I hinted at this in Contrarian's Corner. Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah. He says, all basic stuff, and yet Carpenter brings pacing and style to it, and Natasha Henstridge provides a cool-headed center. I am glad that he gave props to Natasha Henstridge, because I think that Ice Cube is Ice Cube, Pam Greer is Pam Greer, Jason Statham became Jason Statham, and Natasha Henstridge probably kind of like stayed at the level that she was at in this movie, you mm-hmm. know, which is still a nice level. Uh, you know, she's above. It's not like she's just like this person that disappears. She has a career. And if you see the Cheyenne switch, people know who she is. But the other big leads, you know, kind of like went up. And she, But she's the protagonist here, you know, next to, I guess, Ice Cube. So I'm glad that Ebert kind of like shout her out because I agree. I think that she's actually really good as the the center of the of the movie like he says he's the she's the one that's the most relatable i guess the the one that we that we're rooting for or am i wrong were you were you team ice cube here no no i i don't really have a team one way or the other i was just kind of letting this movie happen to me i do agree with what he called out about pacing it's paced just fine for what it is it moves never really gets stale doesn't ever stay it's welcome it's just kind of a silly movie by design by the way 
Yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, you're a bigger Carpenter fan than I am. I, I've said it before. I might have even said it last episode when we were talking about how we were going to do this. And I am, uh, I think The Thing is the only movie of his that I am really crazy about, where I'm just like, that movie fucking rules. And then everything else, I'm more like, yeah, not for me. So when I watch Ghost of Mars and it turns out to be a John Carpenter movie that, that doesn't quite do it for me, it's a feeling that I'm familiar with. <laughs> but I, I I think that maybe I would imagine that's not the case for you. Uh, before we get into that, though, this came to us from someone else. Mm-hmm. It came from Katie and Oti. And like I said, Katie sent me a message when she, when she sent me her selection. She sent me the screenshot of... Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score. And then she said, since you both like to talk about why patrons chose, etc., here's my note. Of the Pam Greer love train we simped upon during our Tarantino run, because they they did a series of episodes covering most of Tarantino's filmography, and mm. uh, they were both watching Jackie Brown for the first time, and they loved it. Uh, she says, uh, I thought this film would further satiate me. Boy, was I wrong. Not even Pam Greer could give me the strength to finish this film, depending on you both to fill in the gaps for me. Uh, so now I wonder, Katie, did you make it to Pam Greer's death? <laughs> was that the moment where you said, no? I was about to say, that would have been thrown in the towel real early. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could see how if you are watching Ghost of Mars for Pam Greer, the moment that Pam Greer loses her head, you're like, all right, well, why am I watching now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that'd be a shame. Uh, yeah, I definitely didn't think it was that bad I, at no point. And, and, you know, I'm pretty forthright and, you know, uh, sometimes aggressively so when I have a hard time watching movies for we do for this or when it takes me more than one sitting to get through it. I had to pause it to focus on some work I was doing earlier, but I didn't really have a hard time. Did you? Uh, not a hard time, but I was you said bored. Just a little bit ago, and that's exactly how I felt. I mean, and not bored as in like, oh my god, when is this gonna end? But more as in like, I, I, I was not engaged at all, and I, yeah. I like Natasha Hensrich, but there was nothing going on in the movie that got me interested because I think that on on a conceptual level, the hook is going to be the push and pull between her character and Ice Cubes mm-hmm. because they're they're polar opposites and. Okay, well, we're gonna watch them learn to work together so that they can survive in this world. We'd throw in some Jason Statham and some Pam Greer there to kind of up the tension, but they get rid of Pam Greer real quick. Jason Statham is just a horn dog, and I don't know. There was really they spend most of the time just shooting at the zombies, not really interacting. So we're a it didn't... long ways away from London as it pertains to one Jason Statham. <laughs> I mean, the hair. Uh, the hair tells yeah. the story. That that is funny. London's what oh five, and this was, <laughs> he you know he he's losing it here. There's those shots behind him where he's clearly balding, and then he's got that full rug in London. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I love Ice Cube. I think Craig and Friday is like one of the better protagonists like ever in a comedy, and, and you know he's good at action shit too. But the problem is here is him and Natasha Henstridge. I don't know if they have chemistry. They're just not really given a chance to have chemistry. It's just kind of like the problem with the, the biggest problem with this movie is that it has a loaded cast and a big budget. A movie like this with this plot 
and the dialogue in this, who does this have the the promise to be like a classic bad horror movie? Mm-hmm. Like, but when you load it so heavily with this cast that I feel like John Carpenter from a filmmaking perspective clearly wanted to make like a campy dumb movie, but it doesn't really feel like a lot of the cast understands that. And then on top of it, you know, you're trying to do kind of like cutting edge things with the effects cutting edge for the time. It's just like dog, the, the mind is willing, but the, (laughs) the body ain't. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's what you get, dumbass. Of this movie, John Carpenter said he was intentionally trying to make it as over-the-top and tongue-in-cheek as possible. He claimed he was trying to make a mindless, silly, yet highly entertaining and thrilling action flick where the, quote, universe allows its characters and plot points to be silly without being full-fledged comedy, akin to movies like Commando, Rambo, and Predator. Looking back on the film and its criticism, he stated he was frustrated that most people thought the film was meant to be a serious horror movie and feels that he should have made the film more openly comedic and, quote, in on the joke, saying, it's called Ghosts of Mars, for Christ's sake. Why would people take this movie seriously? (laughs) Okay, well, there is definitely a disconnect between what Carpenter wanted to do and and what ended on the screen. I don't think it's my fault. That, no. that that I didn't perceive this movie as can be fun. That's classic John Carpenter, by the way. Oh, <laughs> it's the audience's fault. Not that necessarily, but just like I've told you the thing about when someone like asked him if the knife in Halloween was supposed to be like male oppression against females, and he was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but and, and maybe here's the thing, Alex. This movie, and I kind of alluded to it a little bit in the turn's corner. This movie has a really uh, weird yet intriguing setup at the very beginning. Y- you can't just establish a matriarchal society and just kind of like throw it out there in the background and yes. <laughs> never have it like affect the story in any significant way. There is no difference. Uh, you know, this could be a patriarchal society and the story plays the same way. <laughs> I don't understand was this just kind of a a, a remnant of a, a, an earlier draft of the movie when when it was more about some sort of like social political commentary <laughs> or or is it just i don't know is it thrown in there for flavor or was it supposed to be i don't know even if it's supposed to be campy and making fun of you know something i don't know what it's making fun of then you know cuz i i mean th- there's mm-hmm. a lot of potential in the idea that there's a society where women are the the dominant gender but the movie doesn't do anything with that. It's just like, all right, so Pam Greer is the boss, and she flirts with her employees, with her subordinates, and the tribunal, I guess it's all women, mostly women, I don't know, but it doesn't really lead to anything. In the end, it's still Jason Statham, like it's a dude flirting and sort of scoring with uh, a woman in Ice Cube, walks around like he couldn't care less like what gender is at the top <laughs> so, i don't know it, didn't it feel like really disconnected from from what carpenter seems to you know have wanted to do yeah this scene like there's clearly i'm just going through here on imdb trying to see if i can find any big like juicy trivia facts uh 
One of the reasons Carpenter wanted to set the film in a matriarchy was because he didn't want to have his female action heroes have to prove themselves before people took them seriously. Which I appreciate the idea behind that, but it's like, uh, like you said, this just feels, there's a lot going on here. And when I was researching it earlier, I didn't find too much in the way of like studio meddling, but I think it's important to call out that John Carpenter has only directed one film since this. Which was what? The Ward in 2010 with Amber Heard. Uh, I, Ice Cube said it was the worst movie he's ever been in. He said John Carpenter really let us down. It's like, it, when, like I read stuff like that and it's like, okay. <laughs> but, well, I mean, in the sense of like, it seems as though there was a disconnect between everyone involved. I think the biggest thing to call out here is that this was originally written as a sequel to Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. Uh, with the character of what? Pliskin. He was going to be the desolation character, the prisoner. Uh, but okay, I, I actually, I can see that. The studio wouldn't back it as that because Escape from L.A. was such a flop. So it kind of had to be rewritten and retooled. So that might have killed some of Carpenter's interest in doing it. I don't know, but... You know, he he seemed really into this. Obviously, so I mean, he's been the composer for the Halloween movies that have come out recently. He'll be the composer for the one at the end of the year. He's done a bunch of different scores, and it sounded like he was really in on you know working for the score for this. They uh, brought in Anthrax to work on it with him, which is funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It seems like. I could totally buy that John Carpenter had this all in his mind and didn't communicate it to anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you seen uh have you seen Escape from LA? LA no. Okay, yeah. Have you? I I haven't either. I just heard that it's really bad. I mean, I'm curious and and considering that I am not crazy about Escape from New York, I wonder if I might like Escape from LA because I don't have the the, you know, I don't revere Escape from New York, so maybe <laughs> I'll be like, "Oh, I heard that it's more outlandish, which whatever. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I also, it's what I was telling you at the beginning, right? I, I don't, I am not this massive John Carpenter fan. So my reaction mm-hmm. to this movie is kind of the same that I get when I watch, you know, like I watch The Fog and I'm like, all right, that's, you know, it's a movie. Things happened and, and then it ended. And that's the same thing with this. You know, it's a movie, things happen. It ended. I mentioned The Thing because The Thing is not like that. It's like, The Thing is like, it's a movie and there's awesome shit and I was scared and I was intrigued and I was confused. I was uh, nervous about what was going to happen. And then at the end, I was like, I wasn't sure what was happening. There's a range of emotions when you watch The Thing, when I watch The Thing at least. And with this, there was none of that. It was uh, just like, oh, here's another action sequence where I really don't care. Uh, my, my biggest, my strongest reaction was to discovering that Pam Greer was no longer in the movie. <laughs> that was like a mm-hmm. huge bummer. <laughs> and uh, and then to Ice Cube breaking the fourth wall at the very end. <laughs> but I was like, what the hell? That, that look at the end, that is the movie that John Carpenter was trying to make, I guess. And so do you think that that's intentional or was that uh, Ice Cube looking at the cameraman? And then they decide to keep it in the in the movie. I would love if that's something like Cube threatened to walk on. He's like, nah, man, I'm going to look at the camera at the end of this movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he plays it so straight. 
sort of he does. Like, Ice Cube doesn't seem to be in on the joke until that very last second. Yeah, the scenes where he like tries to act, it's like, man. And again, I think Ice Cube's great. It's just like, dude, this movie just reeks of miscommunication across the board. This one's good. Natasha Henstridge recalled that John Carpenter would come to set every day and say that this was the biggest piece of shit he'd ever made, claiming he made it as a <laughs> he made it as a way to relax his cast and crew. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> well, and Natasha Henstridge too. It sounded like they had a big fight at some point during production, but she replaced the original choice for Ballard, who was Courtney Love. Uh. This is the most Courtney Love thing ever. Courtney Love left the project after her boyfriend's ex-wife ran over her foot in her car while she was in training for the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Famke Jansen was briefly considered for the role. Famke Jansen is a... That's... She's that type. Like, you say Courtney Love, I'm like, okay, that's a different movie. But Famke Jansen, I would be like, yeah, that's... uh, Again, I'm I'm happy with what we got, but Famke mm-hmm. Jansen would have been a, a a good alternative. Courtney Love, I don't know. I'm actually Courtney Love might have made it a little spicier. I I see her clashing with Ice Cube in a more interesting way. Clashing with Statham. <laughs> Do you know what it is? It's a stash. This will mess with anything in there. Okay, okay. I wasn't fucking crazy. Uh, the scene where Big Daddy Mars is caught on fire uh, when he's like writhing around, he's wearing a Michael Myers mask. I I was like, I watched, I, was, I thought like I was too obsessed with that movie and I, I forced myself to see it and anything John Carpenter made. But <laughs> okay, I'm not crazy. They put a mask on him when he was on fire. I is love that it. his thing? Does he just hide a Michael Myers mask in every movie he makes? I don't think so, but it, like you know, with me, it's that's just the connection I have. I'm on IMDb right now, and it has a thumbnail to link to like a, a short video through the lens, defining Carpenter esque and why it belongs in the dictionary. And the thumbnail is like <laughs> modern fucking John Carpenter, just old and shit, smiling. And then they have a picture of Michael Myers behind him, but it's Michael Myers from Part Five, and it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's driving me nuts just looking at I love I'm, that you can tell just from a from a screenshot, you can tell which Halloween Michael Myers belongs to. Like I can't mask. tell you. If I look, I don't care. And I, I know we've we've made we've made this comparison before. It was like if I see a screenshot of an Iron Man movie, I can't tell you which Iron Man movie is just looking at the armor. Or which Spider-Man movie just based on the suit. So you're a bigger Halloween nerd than I am an MCU. Nerd. Now I'm second guessing myself. I think it's four because the masks are similar, but in five, he has the neck uh, out, and in four, he has it tucked in. So I think this is four. Either way, John Carpenter didn't have anything to do with that. Um, uh, I mean, that maybe this could make the argument that you know when you use actual practical effects, there's like distinctions between them, and when it's CG, it doesn't really look like anything different. So, uh, <laughs> but no, we had that discussion when we did our Haddonfield Nights. You were like. <laughs> When we got to H2O and you didn't really couldn't tell the difference with the awful CG mask, I was like, he's gone. This is hopeless. (laughs) Yeah, there's no point. (laughs) Okay, so this note said John Carpenter remarked how he loved both Ice Cube and Natasha Henstridge, um, the small touches they added to their final frame. 
Ice Cube looking directly into the camera as he passes and Henstridge jerking her head while cocking her gun. So maybe that was just Ice Cube going into business for himself. <laughs> okay, but why didn't he bring that energy to the rest of the movie? He was happy because it was done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, I think in this discussion, what we've read, what you and I have you know, brought to light. It feels to me that this is a movie that like the studio wanted one thing. John Carpenter had an idea for it. The cast thought it was something that it wasn't. And just no one talked to each other. That is a very surface level guess as to what happened here, as to why it seems so disjointed and just kind of there. And like the look of it, my letterbox review said it felt like playing. uh, I think I even made this joke in the first half. It's like, it's like an off-brand PlayStation 1 game that has FMV cutscenes. Like, <laughs> I wish it was better. It just because I like John Carpenter and I like the idea behind this. I stand by what I said. This could have been a really great bad horror movie. Even made it at the same time period, just with shitty actors and whatnot. But when you bring an A-list cast into it and a higher budget, and certain expectations and it just kind of you can no longer be a good bad movie you can only be a bad movie does that make any sense at all oh yeah absolutely okay that's okay. uh that's that's the curse of taking a, a bigger shot i guess mm-hmm. uh, because i'm sure carpenter and the studio could have made this with unknowns and then you know maybe you only get released on i don't know a hundred theaters <laughs> but yeah but, you know, you're just like an indie and maybe you make your money back because you didn't spend that much to make the movie any to begin with. Uh, here, how much do you think it went to uh, to Ice Cube? Just just Ice Cube alone. Well, our budget was $28 million. I assume Carpenter got paid up front. He didn't do the Halloween gimmick where he's like, I get 10% of everything this ever makes because I don't think it would be as uh, profitable. Cube got top billing, man. And yeah, he would have been the star. So, you know, he probably got at least 25% of that budget because Big Daddy Mars or whatever got a ham sandwich <laughs> and a bus ticket home. <laughs> they uh, they sent him the DVD of the movie. <laughs> John Carpenter autographed it, but he didn't even give it the good signature. It was just J-Line, C-Line. Uh, budget of 28, box office of 14. So did not shake things up so let's go julio to august 24th of 2001 not being dramatic at all that i cannot imagine you know talk about time travel and shit going back to that and just like being in society at that point and just Mm -hmm. watching and being like do you this is all going to be different in three weeks this is different shit but at that point in time, the box office was alive and well. And boy, what a fucking weird-ass assortment of films came out on August 24th. We had John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. We had Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Uh, we had The Curse of Jade Scorpion. As a hey. Woody Allen fan, have you ever seen that? Uh-huh. That's It's all right. Okay. So far on par with everything else you said. <laughs> Eddie's straight favorite, Bubble Boy. And then we also had Summer Catch starring... uh, That was... I know Jessica Biel was in it because she's in a bikini in that movie. And uh, 
that was like something, one of the first things I downloaded off Kazaa was the scene in that movie where she's in a bikini. Um, fuck. He wrote for the WWE. What's his name? Freddie Prince Jr. He's in that too. So it's like the last gasp of the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you want to take any guess what was on top? Jay and Silent Bob. Jay and Silent Bob came in third place that week. Oh, Behind um, Rush Hour 2 and in first place, which it had been for three weeks, was American Pie 2, which I love that movie. And that movie made almost $300 million, so it, it cleaned up. Uh, what else was out at that point in time? Elsewhere on the charts, we had Rat Race, The Others, The Princess Diaries, Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park 3, Legally Blonde, Osmosis Jones. It was a strange time. Like just those mo- that lineup there is such an odd <laughs> different amalgamation of movies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Here we go. Party time. So in conclusion, do you think KT OT they were trying to punish us here or were they just were we doing work for them? Like basically trying to confirm what they thought. I think that they just wanted to know how the movie ended. <laughs> I think that they tapped out when Pam Greer died, and then they just, they're like, I'm not going to finish it. Let's just see what Alex and Julio say about it, and that way we can know. Hey, man. And, that's unbelievably flattering. <laughs> and now you know that uh, everybody dies except for Natasha Hensridge and Ice Cube, and then Ice Cube and then how it the ends. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say how it ends is the most perplexing and, you know, conversational part of the entire movie. <laughs> really shiny guns, fourth wall break, Natasha Hansridge cocks her head. It's just, that's the movie. It's like the movie that you wanted begins 10 seconds before the end credits. And then it's Dude, over. it's, yeah, it, this is like, I was thinking of, while I was watching this today, I kept thinking about Jason X, same time period, you know, outer space, shitty special effects. The difference is it's okay for that movie to be awful, but this is like, there's, it's just what I was saying. There's too many parts to this that it should have been good. And now that it's kind of wished around in my head, you're exactly right. The, the way it closes is like, that's what the whole movie should have been. So it's, it just makes it even more frustrating. Yeah. If, if, uh, if Jason X was directed by John Carpenter, would you resent it because it should be better? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if John Carpenter made that movie, I've, I, <laughs> what's, what's uh, Cletus saying, Nutty Professor, I would like to take this old bird out of her misery. Like, that would be like kind of where I was at if that was the case. <laughs> but then Carpenter would come back and, and say, uh, no, man, this is what I wanted to do. Just something campy and silly. You haven't seen Jason X, clearly. <laughs> I have seen it. More than once, I think. <laughs> okay, good God. What a strange one to see multiple times. But uh, nah, man. That, Like I said, here I can at least see what he's trying to do. If he if he made that, I would just be like, so what was the point of the, pr- <laughs> the professor getting his nipples pinched with the tongs? Like, what was going on there? Fun. <laughs> <laughs> he would just be like... I don't have to answer your stupid fucking questions. <laughs> He'd be like, why does there have to be a point to anything? <laughs> He's like, did you see it? <laughs> did you pay for it? All right. That's all I care about. <laughs> and I need to uh, quickly go back 
it was Halloween four because I was able to find the exact <laughs> screen cap that they used for that thumbnail. <laughs> All right, you can you can go to bed. I can rest easy, easy now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta say, I know we we kind of brought this up when we were talking on our patron channel. We we're talking about Jawbreaker, but uh, it's kind of weird, a little disheartening to see that post Jackie Brown, Pam Greer would get this part like like such a small role did you feel yeah. that disappointment of like like i totally get why like i don't know i don't know how much research katie had done before the she picked you know goes with mars something to watch post jackie brown but i would have thought you know along the lines of oh jackie brown came out of this year so let's see what the industry did for her in subsequent years and you come to go to Mars and I'm like, what the fuck? She's in it for like 10 minutes. Jackie Brown is in it for 10 minutes. It's not, what is it? You know, it, I don't understand that. I don't, uh, it's not that I, I said, I don't have a problem with Natasha Henstridge as the protagonist, but it easily could have been Pam Greer as the protagonist. <laughs> it, I, it, it's a bummer just to see that. Uh, it really is. That was, uh, Twitter's fucking weird now. Like, you see suggested tweets like based on your likes, like that type of shit. And mm-hmm. it's like on Instagram, that's fine. But Twitter, I I want a curated timeline. I'm gonna have to stop liking shit. But the the reason I bring that up is because it got me going down a rabbit hole the other day of someone talking just about this topic of like why didn't Jackie Brown lead to more for Pam Greer? And like obviously, you know, she had a hell of a run in the seventies and eighties and it ain't like Jackie Brown isn't good. We've talked about like, depending on what day of the week you ask me, and I think you too, it could potentially be considered our favorite Tarantino movie. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and she's a big part of that. She's great in it. And it's like, why didn't it lead to more? It's just exactly what we're talking about. Um, She was an escape from LA also. So she had worked with John Carpenter before. So maybe this was just kind of like friends reuniting at the same time, you know, just filling in the gaps in between that. Jackie Brown. So we had Jawbreaker, In Too Deep, Holy Smoke, Snow Day. I think that was a Nickelodeon movie for crying out loud. Uh, 3 a.m., Love the Hard Way, Bones. It's just like we failed her. Unless it's the Parker Posey thing that we talked about last time that she just really didn't give a shit. I mean, I mean, it could be that she she was big in the seventies, and and she's like, look, I just want to make a living. I don't need to be a, I don't need Pam Greer vehicles. Just keep mm-hmm. casting me in these supporting roles, and I'm I'm happy because I get to live my life, <laughs> and also just act. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know if there's like candid interviews with Pam Greer out there where she talks about what it was like like life post jackie brown but i remember when jackie brown came out and i probably mentioned in the jawbreaker episode that uh it wasn't just her but you know everybody the buzz was like this was her comeback and it was like of course mm-hmm. you know he brought travolta back now he's bringing uh pam greer and robert forster back and yeah. uh, and with forster even like it took a little i i think it forster actually he didn't become a, a superstar but you know he didn't do face off or whatever but he he was everywhere you you saw him popping everywhere and with with pam greer not so much so i remember her being also part of that that big movement of like i'm back and then yes yeah, like you said we failed her <laughs> god damn it america 
uh, she got her head put on a pike in the movie at least, though. So, you know, she made it. Yeah, I hope she got to keep the bust. It was exciting to work with John and his vision and the special effects in the story. Yeah, it's a uh, that's definitely an interesting discussion point. And I don't know who the hell you'd even ask about that. Her, I guess. But it's like just a fascinating topic. Jason Statham, I think, did all right for himself. You know, I referenced that uh, in my mind, the timelines were meshed up, but I forgot that Snatch would have been before this. But Snatch was more like years after it became a bigger deal, right? Um, I don't know. I thought it did all right when it first came out. Yeah, it made uh, $80 million upon release, so it definitely didn't tank. I think the... I remember hearing about it several years after the fact, but what, uh, and that was only Jason Statham's second movie. So then he did this, the one with Jet Li. Okay, 2002 Transporter. That was his big, like, takeoff in America, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was just, it's just him. That's, that's a Statham vehicle. That was his Jackie Brown. <laughs> Unadulterated Statham, an Italian job. Yeah, now we're just going in. Transporter <laughs> 2, Revolver, London, Crank, War. Do you remember War? <laughs> no. Uh, War was the movie with him and Jet Li. Um, I thought that was the, the main, one. The one is with Jet Li. He has like a small part in it. War is like their... The poster was literally them face-to-face. The main reason I remember it was because the theatrical poster was horizontal instead of vertical. And all these theaters were like, what the fuck are we supposed to do with this? <laughs> It looks like one of them is on top of the other. <laughs> exactly. Like, it looks like they're laying in bed about to kiss. What's going on? <laughs> so, see, this is so weird because it's not even one of those movies that I'm I'm going to be like, well, it w- it's an interesting little footnote because I guess it is that, but I don't know if that makes it worth watching. For me as a John Carpenter fan, I'm glad it's a blind spot that I, you know, covered. But it's like, who would you recommend this movie to? <laughs> Ice Cube completists? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Natasha Hansrich fans? Yeah. I mean, John Carpenter completionist, obviously. Um, if you're if you're scrolling, I mean, well, we don't do this anymore, but you're, you're scrolling, flipping channels, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you come across this movie, it's playing. Do you keep going or do you stop to watch? I, I would check out what part it's at. Because the, like, the action's pretty decent, and there's some cool, like, you know, shoot them up type shit. Uh, if I was flipping channels, I landed on, I would see what part it's at before I made my judgment call. How long uh, till Cleo Duvall loses her head? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, it's one of those things you wait for it, but it's like on TNT, so they cut away. Or it's like the edited <laughs> for TV version. <laughs> so I guess my final verdict is it's not good, but it's not bad enough to be offensive. Runtime's 90 minutes, so I can't get mad at that. And it, there's some entertaining aspects to it. I, it's crime is that at the end of the day, I was just kind of bored. And like you said, it wasn't like, oh, God, let's go. It was just kind of like I wasn't engaged in what was happening. I feel you. I feel that. Uh, for me, uh, five stars to that final shot, one and a half stars to the rest of the movie. Because, yeah, I was I was bored. It's exactly like you said. I was bored and I, I wanted to care. And I think... Uh, it solidified my feelings just talking about it with you that this was mm-hmm. like I'm not crazy <laughs> you know like I could see the elements there for this to be a better movie and it was frustrating that they didn't 
come together. It's a shame that it just didn't work out for anybody involved, but uh, yeah, it's not a good movie. No, I gave it two stars on Letterboxd. I think that would translate for me to uh, D plus, C minus, somewhere in that range. Not good. You see it at the dollar bin. Do you buy it for a dollar? Mm, see, the problem with that logic or that um, scenario is that I have almost for every movie we've done now an embedded sense of nostalgia <laughs> just because it's like... <laughs> Because, you know, for better or for worse, every movie we've done, I've spent a few hours of my life thinking about and discussing in detail. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I next time I'm in, I'm in Dollar General, if they have it for a dollar, I, I might think about it. And <laughs> you see that horrendous poster. <laughs> it's it's not like Adventureland, where as soon as we like finished recording, I was like, fucking A, I need the Blu-ray of this and got online. <laughs> All right, so those are our scores. That was John Carpenter's Ghost from Mars, KT and OT. Thank you so much, not just for being patrons, but for throwing us something that otherwise we would not have done. Uh, Julio, you had made mention to the Twilight Saga kicking off on our patron page for our main timeline. I believe the next time we come back around will also be for a Twilight film. Uh, Not quite, my friend. Uh, not yet. Okay. N- not yet. We have a uh, we have something to take care of before we go into New Moon. Yeah, Twilight starts. The first Twilight movie starts on our Patreon feed, and then on the main feed we'll start September with something that's Twilight related in the sense that there's a, a Twilight actor in it, but it's also a very different movie. It's not a movie that would belong in that franchise. We're talking about Robert Pattinson. We're talking about The Lighthouse. I don't know if I would call it indie, darling. I don't know how indie it was. It feels indie. It's black and white. It has uh, Pattinson, Willem Dafoe. A24. A24. Uh, you know, it's from the guy that did the, the Vivitch. Have you seen The Witch at least, Alex? I know you haven't seen The Lighthouse. Did you watch this other movie? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't know. Isn't The Lighthouse also in like 4-3 ratio? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. The Witch. That's such a generic name that I have to look it up to see if I've seen it. No, I have not seen this. Uh, All right. So, yeah, taking a a wild left turn, uh, Robert Eggers' debut to the Contrarians. And uh, I guess the first Pattinson that we've had on the main feed. Is that right? Yeah, because I was looking over his filmography, trying to pick out a fresh one, and that I didn't see anything on there. I mean, we may have talked about Good Time a time or two, and we did um, (laughs) on our patron – we, you, <laughs> had an in-depth burial of the Batman. Um, <laughs> That's true. And, and then, of course, yeah, by the time we get to the lighthouse on the main feed, uh, Twilight will be on the Patreon as well. But but yeah, before we get to Robert Pattinson on New Moon on the main feed, we're going to get to Robert Pattinson and the lighthouse. It makes sense on some level. Just embrace it. Just like John Carpenter embraced Ghost of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Ghost of Mars for Christ's sake. <laughs> you people are stupid. <laughs> Taking the uh, James Cameron approach. Yes. It's your fault. Uh, <laughs> What's the deal with these old directors? <laughs> Just don't give a shit anymore. The, yeah, they're they're old and you know, they liked the, how it used to be. They have like Christopher Nolan that's just like, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want. Cool. <laughs> all right 
So that is a glimpse into our future. A Twilight sandwich with the lighthouse as the, the meat, as it were. Let's get on out of here. Let's move on into our perennial plugs. We'll start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rodgieser is the man behind our logo, also behind the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our merch page. If he has a little red tomato looking at itself in the mirror, Hans was probably the one who uh, came up with it. So support him. Send him an email asking for logos for comics. Uh, check out his podcast, Nación Combi and Marginal. Nación Combi is about proving current affairs. Marginal is about the economy. Check out his webpage, mildemonios.pe, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S.pe. Uh, that's where you can check out his other works, his writings. He's written a bunch of novels. Uh, more recently, I haven't mentioned it in a while, but uh, this book, Zomos Zombies, is like a fake Peruvian history book. And I got to write a chapter on it just because nice. Hans said hey would you and I said sure it was it was fun check out his work Hans is a, a really funny guy a really talented guy Hans thank you for supporting our show and thank you to Zoe Perez not only for curating our social media game but also being the curator of the Twilight arc that we're going to go through here on The Contrarians <laughs> looking forward to it uh, Zoe helps put together uh, our Facebook and our Instagram accounts, which looks oh so pretty thanks to her. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime and on Instagram at Contrarian Prime. Give us a follow on those respective apps. Uh, Zoe puts together images, video clips, audio clips, previewing upcoming episodes or the episode du jour. I said that on the last episode and I kind of like the way that sounds, so I'll probably say that moving forward, but interactive graphics, images, just generally puts together a much prettier and cleaner presentation than Julio and I would probably trip over ourselves to do so. So, Zoe, thank you for all the work you do for us. We greatly appreciate it. And we greatly appreciate you, the listening public, our adoring audience. Thank you so much for tuning in. That is going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. The summer of 1999